Thank you for joining the Dark Light Podcast. Here at the Dark Light Podcast, you will find information about the absolute truth. Hang on tight as we go to discover the light in the darkness. So, here we are again. I want you to put on your thinking caps. Try and place yourself in a neutral position intellectually we all come to the table with our preconceived notions we all have them we all like to think that we don't have these glitches in our thought processes these blind spots but we all have them So right now, I want you to try and set your preconceived notions aside. No matter where they come from, no matter how secure you are in your ideas and in your notions of where things are going, just set all that aside. There's an old story about the kid who came to the master and wanted the master to give him the traditional tea ceremony and induct him into the school where the master was teaching and the master continued to deny the kid his wish but finally one day the master sat down and said okay we'll have the tea ceremony of course the young pupil was very excited and he sat down with the master and placed his teacup in front of the master in the traditional way and the master began to pour the tea into the cup and as the cup began to fill the pupil, the student, got more and more excited, then concerned, because the cup just began to overflow, and the master continued to pour the tea. And as the tea poured all over the table and poured onto the floor, 
The student said to the master, Master, stop. Why are you pouring so much tea? Why are you causing the tea to spill out of the cup? And the master looked at the student and said, You are like this cup. Your cup is too full. If your cup is too full, you have no room for new tea. And the master got up and walked away. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. There is a tendency in Western society, in modern society, to ignore the ideals presented within spiritual traditions. We look at spirituality most of the time as something which is spoken of in hushed terms in churches and synagogues in places of worship. And then there are those who don't believe in so-called organized religions, so they claim to just be spiritual. And they usually speak of ideas which originate in Eastern Asian cultures, Indian cultures, very ancient cultures, which today have very deep and embedded religious organizations such as Tibetan Buddhism, Hinduism, religious paths which have been around for millennia. And people who want to get away from the standard Western model of church and religious traditions rooted deeply within the Judeo-Christian mindset gravitate towards these more eclectic ideologies. But setting all that aside, we can recognize that within the spiritual community, within spirituality itself, there are two diverging paths. On the one hand, you have a 
cosmic, ethereal understanding of all things spiritual. A disjointed communion with the unseen. On the other hand, you have things that appear to be more structured and yet they're very much like voodoo where blood is a main component of theology and worship structure within the spiritual communities however they choose to display themselves take for instance the Eurochrist the idea that the priest within traditional Roman Catholic or Anglican traditions can somehow cause the wafer the Buen Dao to become the actual body flesh of God and that the wine becomes the actual physical blood of God is a theological ideology which is called transubstantiation which harkens back to voodoo IHS Isis Horus Set the Egyptian Trinity For most adherents of the Roman Catholic traditions and the many splinter churches which follow the basic patterns laid down by the Roman Catholic Church, we see the assembling of a voodoo-like structure which is accepted because spirituality cannot be contained 
in a box. Spirituality must have an ether, a mist, a somewhat nondescript spiritual component. And it is this ideology, this reasoning that has seeped its way into all of the religious systems of the world today. At the same time, the truth about all things spiritual must be present and available otherwise all hope is lost we must recognize that in the Christian tradition Much of what is considered Christian has its origin somewhere else. Jesus the Christ, when he spoke, he spoke with an authority that was God ordained. Jesus the Christ made it very clear that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Jesus the Christ made it very clear that the words which he spoke were spirit. And the words that he spoke were life. When we look at these verses in Scripture, in the Word of God, in the Holy Bible, we begin to see that even the translators themselves held a bias in the way in which they translated the words spirit so that the theology of the translators seeps into the words themselves and we must be careful to understand the meaning of the words in spite of the translator's misinterpretation of the verses themselves. When we look at John 663 
I'm going to be coding the Aramaic Bible in plain English. It says the spirit is the life giver. The body does not benefit anything. The words that I speak with you are spirit and life. Now, when we just read that, it sounds very similar to the other various multiple translations of John 6, 63. When we look at the words themselves, we see right away that they capitalize the first word, spirit, as in the spirit is the life giver. They also capitalize the word life and the word giver. Trying to help you to understand they're talking about the Holy Spirit. Then as we go to the last section of the verse, it says the words that I speak with you are spirit and life. And here, the translators left the word spirit and the word life without capitalizing them. If you read the preface of most translations of the Bible, you will see that the translators insist that they have capitalized the word spirit when it refers to the Holy Spirit but they have not capitalized the word spirit when they believe the Holy Spirit is not involved in the word spirit. So, in contrast to the majority of Bible translations, we see in the contemporary English version this verse here in John 6 and the translators are very careful to once again capitalize the first indication of the word spirit and I will read to you the entire verse the spirit capital S is the one who gives life human strength can do nothing the words that I have spoken to you are from that life-giving spirit, capital S. So even though the translators here in the contemporary English version do not translate and capitalize the word life and the word giving, they do capitalize both indications where the word spirit is used. Remember, this verse is Jesus the Christ speaking. So the translators do understand at some point 
that the word spirit, first referring to the spirit that gives life, and then later to the words that Jesus was speaking, as in life-giving spirit words, are the same. All of the translators recognize that, but only a few of the translators make it clear when they render these words into English. So we must be very careful not to get confused by the translation process or the translator's bias, which is evident in the Holman Christian Standard Bible, the American Standard Bible, and even the New International Version, or the Aramaic Bible in plain English. The translators have an agenda in spite of the fact that they deny this in all of their writings. Remember, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. The Bible has warned us that in the latter days people will depart from the truth. In Ephesians 6 verse 12 we read in the Christian Standard Bible for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against authorities against the cosmic powers of this darkness against evil spiritual forces in the heavens the amplified bible same verse ephesians 6 verse 12 states it this way for our struggle is not against flesh and blood contending only with physical opponents but against the rulers against the powers against the world forces of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly spiritual supernatural places the reason it's called the amplified bible is because when the translators created the Amplified Bible, they were careful to give extra words in English to try and magnify the meaning of the standard words which appear in English, which were traditionally translated from the original languages such as Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. So we must understand that the issue 
when understanding truth is that we are constantly bombarded by information which is not spiritual based. It's not spiritually given. And yet the topics can be very spiritual, can be very God-centered. And yet the understanding of these spiritual topics have been rendered useless by the mere fact that the individuals trying to explain and pontificate on these topics of spiritual importance are not spirit-filled. And hence, if they are not spirit-filled, they can never understand the spiritual truth. Let me repeat that. If you are not spirit-filled, you cannot understand spiritual things. When reading the Holy Bible, it is absolutely critical that we are first imbued with the Spirit of God in order to understand what we are reading. It is often said that when the student is ready, the master appears. In the case of understanding the Holy Scriptures, the Master is in fact the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit enlightening our minds, we will never come to the right conclusions about what the Bible actually says. When we understand this idea, we will begin to be more aware of the nuances within not only the translation process, but when we listen to speakers and pastors and theological seminarians, we will be more careful in recognizing that the ideas presented may or may not be spiritually correct, simply because the speaker themselves 
are not spiritually filled and spiritually led and endowed with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians two fourteen New International Version The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Now it is interesting to point out that in this particular verse, in the New International Version, the translators were very careful to translate each and every place where the word spirit appears indicating that the translators believed that this entire verse was a reference to the Holy Spirit, which undoubtedly it is. 1 Corinthians 2.14 is one of the most important verses in the New Testament, in the Bible itself. All scripture, the Bible says, is given by inspiration, theonustus of God. But it's interesting to note that in spite of that fact, that the things which are spiritual cannot be discerned by a person without the Holy Spirit. So no matter how many years of scholastic training you may have or a person may have, no matter how many years they've gone to theological seminaries and gotten degrees, doctorates, masters in theology, if the individual, if the person is not immersed within the spirituality of the Spirit of God, they cannot know the truth. Because the truth is only revealed by the Spirit of God. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Christians, whether they be Roman Catholic or Anglican 
or Protestant, such as the Southern Baptist Association, or the Methodist, or the Presbyterian, Lutherans, and many other Protestant denominations. Evangelical fundamentalist Christians absorb the majority of our attention. What most people overlook is the fact that the British Bible Society versus the American Bible Society are key players in the construction and the writings of the English translations of the Holy Bible. We must carefully understand this process for without understanding this process of translation this ideological foundation of scholars which are well educated for the task we must keep in mind that in spite of all of the potentially well-meaning individuals within this process spiritual things are spiritually discerned spiritual things are not taught in the sense that true spirituality can only be obtained by the indwelling, the physical indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. This fact is overlooked by most, if not all, so-called theologians and Bible translators. And instead of making this clear distinction, most of these theological seminaries where the translators have been educated and trained completely disregard the notion that there is a very big distinction between academia and Holy Spirit truth.
this is the issue and it raises its ugly head in the concepts of inspiration and what the foundational statements and beliefs are of the translators themselves. In Islam, the notion is put forward that when God speaks to a prophet, whether through an angel or some other medium, the words which are written down in real time are in fact the exact words of God as if spoken by God himself. And in order to solidify this concept, it is imperative that a book such as the Quran, which is in some ways the equivalent of the Holy Bible, especially to the Islamic religious adherent, this notion requires that the only so-called authorized or authentic versions of the Quran must always be written in the original language, which is Arabic, because God, according to Islam, only spoke to the prophet in Arabic. And if that Arabic word is translated into another language, it may gain or lose some special meaning. Hence, no version of the Quran can be used in liturgy or in teaching unless it is written in Arabic alone. The Roman Catholic Church has a similar notion about the Christian Bible. The idea put forward by the Vatican and hence the Pope is that the Holy Bible, the Christian Holy Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament can only be authorized by the Roman Catholic Church if it is written in Latin. There was a time when all sermons, all liturgies 
within the Roman Catholic Church were exclusively done in Latin. In the past few years, especially because of the American Catholic bishops, there has been a loosening of this idea so that some liturgies are spoken in English. But all of the popes have insisted that the authoritative, absolute writings of Scripture, the Holy Bible, must be written in Latin. As the popes over the years have proclaimed that Latin is the official language of God. And if the Bible is translated into any other language, it is then understood that that other language may not express the exact meaning, the exact understanding which the original so-called Latin version possesses. Fast forward to the Protestant denominations which hold to something called solo or sola scriptura. The Bible and the Bible alone, according to Protestant theologians, holds the meaning and the mystery of the knowledge of God. No church traditions, no empirical statements, no pontifical renderings are necessary in order for an individual to understand the truth as it appears in the Holy Bible, regardless of the language in which the Holy Bible has been translated. This is the position of Protestant denominations. The evangelical theologians, the evangelical Christian seminaries have taken this idea one step further, which brings them to a slight juxtaposition which reflects the Roman Catholic position. And this has to do with their views on inspiration itself. So that when we see these theologians proclaim, especially in the non-Roman Catholic traditions, when they proclaim that the Bible is the Word of God, what they really mean is that the Bible, like the Quran, 
and like the Latin Vulgate scriptures of the Roman Catholic Church, are somehow inspired by God word for word, regardless of the language in which you are reading that particular biblical translation version. So as an example, if you were to take the Holy Scriptures in Hebrew of the Old Testament, which the Jews call the Tanuk, and you were to read those scriptures in Hebrew according to evangelical theologians which then become members of biblical translation teams they would say that the inspiration quality of the original quote-unquote original manuscripts in Hebrew would give you the exact same words when those Hebrew verses and chapters and books are translated into any other language such as English. The problem with that type of thinking is that the translators themselves and the translation process must then be assumed to be under the same inspiration of God as the original manuscripts which were written down by the original writers, prophets of God in the Old Testament, Hebrew. So that they must now, these theologians, they must now extend the idea of inspiration from the original Bible writers to the actual translators themselves. So they must now propose that the translators are just as inspired, just as God breathed upon. Theonoustos is the word in Greek. They are just as imbued with the Spirit of God as the original writers of the Bible itself. And this concept is embedded within the evangelical Christian denominations, within the translation committees and teams of translators regardless of the version of biblical translation. So, let me be clear. 
the Bible teaches us that spiritual things are spiritually discerned so that it is impossible for an individual who is merely educated regardless of their intentions regardless of their motives it is impossible for them to be Theonustus inspired in the same manner as the original writers of the Bible were. Unless they are imbued with the Holy Spirit of God in the same way. Well, if we look at the translation process and we look at all the different versions of the Bible today, starting with the King James Bible and going through all the different versions, including the New International Version, including the New King James Bible, including the Douay Bible, including well, the Latin Vulgate Bible, or any of the Greek manuscripts which are used for the translation process, or any of the Masoretic texts which are used for the translation process, to assert that the inspiration quality and the inspiration of God-spoken individual words, whether in the original language, such as Hebrew, or in the translated language, such as English, is of the same quality, regardless of the individuals doing the translation, is an absolutely absurd notion. Nothing could be further from the truth. And yet, this idea of inerrancy of Scripture being found in all translations of the Holy Bible, this assumption that somehow the translators themselves, the theologians, the seminarians, the PhDers themselves can dissect the Word of God accurately 100% of the time, word for word, is a monstrous fable of the dung heap of decretals, which is a direct quotation from Martin Luther himself. So let's understand that if we walk in the light, the light of truth, we must never assume the inspirational inerrancy 
of the words of Scripture. The Bible clearly teaches that all Scripture is given by inspiration, theonoustos, of God. But nowhere in the Bible does it imply or does it say that the inspiration of God extends to the very words in any language, whether it be the original manuscripts or the later copied and translated manuscripts, and then even later, the renditions of the Bible translated into another language, such as English or Spanish or German or Latin. The issue at hand is the inspiration process. Understanding how God inspires people to write holy words, holy scriptures, is the issue at hand. The Roman Catholic Church, with all of its pontifical assertions, can never show from the Word of God without using the traditions of the church, the traditions of men. They can never show an inspiration which is locked in to one solitary, exclusive language, which they say is Latin. The Protestant, evangelical Christians and theologians can never assert as gospel truth the idea that translators themselves are inspired in a theonoustus sort of way as the original writers were. But this is exactly what these theologians have done. So let me be clear. The problem is not with the Bible itself. The problem is the translators and the individuals that control the translation committees and their assertions that their translation process is without error and that somehow the very words themselves are given to them word for word by God. This fabrication is at the root of all 
denominational schisms. Regardless of whether you call yourself a non-denominational church or whether you call yourself a Lutheran, a Baptist, a Methodist, a Roman Catholic, a Mennonite, an Anabaptist, regardless of the title that you give yourself, the issue is how does God inspire the Holy Scriptures? There are many examples of how the translators and the PhDers, the seminarians, the theologians have tweaked their translation process to match their preconceived notions and agendas as to what they think the Bible actually says without any verification from the Bible itself. As an example, I am going to read to you this idea that in order to create a group of individuals that can then put together a biblical translation, create a Bible in whatever language they are working on, they must get together even if they're from different theological seminaries, different theological backgrounds, whether they be Roman Catholic or Protestant, whether they be conservative evangelical Christians, Baptist, Methodists, Lutherans, whatever tradition they adhere to, they get together in a committee and think that if they sign a document that somehow that will preserve the authenticity of their work. In the new King James version of the Thomas Nelson printing, we see an example of this with the listing of names of the committee members which helped in the translation process. The general editor, Earl Rademacher, THD, from Western Conservative Baptist Seminary, and Ronald B. Allen, THD, from Dallas Theological Seminary, 
and H. Wayne House, Th.D., New Testament editor from the Michigan Theological Seminary, and all the other individuals that were allowed to work on this process. They had to sign a statement which said, and I quote, in faithfulness to God and our readers, it was deemed appropriate that all participating scholars sign a statement affirming their belief in the verbal and plenary inspiration of scriptures and in the inerrancy of the original autographs, uncoat. So let me interpret that for you. What these individuals required in order for you as a theologian, regardless of the training, education that you had, you were required to sign a statement vouching for your personal belief in the plenary and verbal inspiration, meaning word-for-word inspiration, and the inerrancy, no mistakes, of the original autographs or manuscripts. Now, let's let that sink in for a while. The absurdity of that statement is magnified by the fact that once one group of translators sat down and signed this document, this document was then duplicated for all other translating teams. So that what we see here is an attempt to isolate individuals, regardless of their training, from the translation process itself. For if you do not believe that God speaks word for word, inspires people to write every single word in one particular language, such as Arabic, you are then not allowed to work on the team or with the team that is doing the translation of the so-called original language, translating then to whatever given language the process is going to end up in, such as English. The second blaring, glaring problem with this statement is that the original autographs do not exist, and they know that. The oldest extant manuscripts which we possess today 
are copies of copies of copies of copies. In Hebrew, in Aramaic, in Greek. Whether we're talking about the Old Testament or we're talking about the New Testament, there are no original autographs. They've long been discarded, burned, and none of those can ever be found. They're too old. So let me be clear. These theologians are pontificating very similar to what the Pope does. Jesus the Christ warned against this type of thinking. And he says, For in vain do you worship me, teaching for doctrine the traditions and commandments of men. It is impossible for theologians, whether conservative, liberal, Roman Catholic, Protestant, or any segment in between, to assert their God-given right as if they have a sealed, hermetically sealed authority to inspiration itself. We must open our eyes to the truth. The truth, although hidden, is knowable. sand if you want to but in order to get through life we must understand that the only way to freedom the only way to the glorious future is through the truth the absolute truth not a watered down version proposed by some well-meaning scholar oh no the absolute truth must be the foundation of all things spiritual Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. This realization must be the driving force behind all decisions in life, behind all laws. And ideals. This is why we call the United States Constitution 
a living document because it guarantees that we have inalienable rights given to us by God, Creator God. That is the foundation of the United States legal system. You can be an atheist if you want. You can be an agnostic if you choose. You can be a Satanist and drink all the blood you like. But in the United States of America, the United States Constitution clearly states that all men, people, are created equal. And that they are endowed by their creator with unalienable rights, which some of these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Without a creator God, there is no United States Constitution. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. The founders of the United States of America recognized this fact and encoded it into the United States Constitution. All of the discussions we hear today about does the Constitution guarantee abortion rights? Does the Constitution guarantee non-gender, non-specific, non-binary agendas? Does the Constitution guarantee the rights to bear arms. All of these questions are simply answered by reading what the United States Constitution actually says. It's not up for debate. It's not up to Congress to decide how to interpret the Constitution. It's not the right of any politician to ignore what the Constitution says. And yet, today, we have a whole segment of society insisting that the United States Constitution is somehow an old document that needs to be updated. And they fail to recognize that the United States Constitution is a living, sacred, God-given, inspired document. Not unlike the Word of God the Holy Bible itself.
holy men of God spake as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It is the divine element, the divine creative element that makes the United States Constitution what it is. The foundation of all recognizable judicial legal laws. Let me be clear. To sidestep the notion that spiritual things are spiritually discerned is to run amok of the legal system of the United States of America. To ignore the fact that spiritual things are spiritually discerned is to sidestep and ignore the truth itself. There is a right way and there is a wrong way. This fact is ignored, overlooked, and ridiculed by most of society today. It is time that we get back to the Word of God, that we stand on the Word of God, and we make the Word of God, our true foundation and our guide to how we will live our lives day by day, moment by moment. Another example that we have in front of us is that the new international version of the Bible has taken much ridicule over the years and has been slandered and set aside by many conservative theological seminarians for various reasons. But just like the other translations, the translation committee, even though they claim to be hundreds of individuals, when they were allowed to sit and work on the translation process, they also signed a verbal plenary inspiration statement and the inerrancy of the original autographs, which I already told you don't exist. 
once you make that your start point, all bets are off. Once you muddy the waters, you poison the waters with a belief statement that is absurd, the end result will be nothing but confusion. It's a tragedy that we have allowed our leaders, whether in the religious world or in the political world or the scientific world, to dictate to us their ideological musings, their assumptions, without demanding a thus saith the Lord, without asking for fundamental proof as to their assertions about what they believe is right and what they believe is wrong. It is time that we stand up for the truth. The truth, although hidden, is knowable. I want to read just a little bit of some of the ideas that went into the translation process for the new international version of scripture of the Bible in English. The reason why this becomes critical is because we begin to see that the translation process is so controlled, is so manipulated as to sidestep the truth itself. In response to a statement by the New International Bible Committee of Translators. We see that the statement in the preface of the New International Version of the Bible lays out in detail the mindset of the translators on the committee themselves. And I quote from the preface, which is from the 19 
84 preface to the new international version. The new international version is a completely new translation of the Holy Bible made by over a hundred scholars working directly from the best available Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek texts. It had its beginning in 1965 when after several years of exploratory study by committees from the Christian Reformed Church and the National Association of Evangelicals a group of scholars met at Palo Heights, Illinois and concurred in the need for a new translation of the Bible in contemporary English. This group thought not though this group, though not made up of official church representatives was trans-denominational. I want you to hear these words. Trans-denominational. Trans-humanism. Transsexual. Now, every word has meaning, and over time, words morph. But here it's interesting to note that somehow these translators believe that because the translation process is trans denominational. And, as I stated before, all of these translators were required to sign a statement affirming their belief in the inerrancy of Scripture written word for word by God in the original languages, in the original autographs, that don't exist. They somehow believe that their translation being trans-denominational made up of a committee will guarantee the authenticity and correctness of their translation. These PhDs have all sidestepped the Bible itself when the Bible clearly states spiritual things are spiritually discerned.
They just sidestepped it and said, we have another way of guaranteeing the accuracy of our translation. Continuing on, and I quote, this transdenominational committee, its conclusion was endorsed by a large number of leaders from the many denominations who met in Chicago in 1966. Responsibility for the new version was delegated by the Palos Heights group to a self-governing body of 15. The Committee on Bible Translation composed for the most part of biblical scholars from colleges, universities, and seminaries. In 1967, the New York Bible Society, now known as the International Bible Society, generously undertook the financial sponsorship of the project. A sponsorship that made it possible to enlist the help of many distinguished scholars. The fact that the participants from the United States, Great Britain, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand worked together gave the project its international scope. That they were from many denominations including Anglican, Assemblies of God, Baptist, Brethren, Christian Reformed, Church of Christ, Evangelical Free, Lutheran, Mennonite, Methodist, Nazarene, Presbyterian, Wesleyan, and other churches helped to safeguard the translators from sectarian bias. Now let me let that last statement sink in. So the position that is being taken by these editors, these translators of the New International Bible, is that we can guarantee the authenticity of our translation simply because we have so many scholars from so many different denominations. And therefore, sectarian bias will never raise its ugly head 
in our translation process. And yet, we require every single individual that is on the board of directors, on the translation teams, to sign a statement of plenary verbal inerrancy of the original autographs, which don't exist. Now, any individual with half a brain cell can see that the problem is not per se the translation process, it's the translators themselves. They're suggesting that there is another way to guarantee the inerrancy of Scripture apart from spiritual things are spiritually discerned. So continuing on, we see that in the preface of the New International Version, the translators are trying to show themselves to be not only scholars, but scholars with a distinction scholars that are somehow better prepared to make the assertions that they make so continuing on it says The translation of each book was assigned to a group of scholars. Next, one of the intermediate editorial committees revised the initial translation. with constant reference to the Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek. Their work then went to one of the general editorial committees, which checked it in detail and made another thorough revision. This revision in turn was carefully reviewed by the Committee on Bible Translation which made further changes and then released the final version for publication.
In this way, the entire Bible underwent three revisions, during each of which the translation was examined for its faithfulness to the original languages and for its English style. All this involved many thousand of hours of research and discussion regarding the meaning of the texts and the precise way of putting them into English. It may well be that no other translation has been made by a more thorough process of review and revision from committee to committee than this one. From the beginning of the project, the Committee on Bible Translation held to certain goals for the new international version that it would be an accurate translation and one that would have clarify and literary quality and so prove suitable for public and private reading, teaching, preaching, memorizing, and liturgical use. The committee also sought to preserve some measure of continuity with the long tradition of translating scriptures into English. In working towards these goals, the translators were united in their commitment to the authority and infallibility of the Bible as God's word in written form. They believe that it contains the divine answer to the deepest needs of humanity, that it sheds unique light on our path in a dark world and that it sets forth the way to our eternal well-being. The first concern of the translators has been the accuracy 
of the translation and the fidelity to the thought of the biblical writers. They have weighed the significance of the textural and grammatical details of the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek texts. At the same time, they have striven for more than a word-for-word translation. Because thought patterns and syntax differ from language to language. Faithful communication of the meaning of the writers of the Bible demands frequent modifications in sentence structure and constant regard for contextual meaning of words. A sensitive feeling for style does not always accompany scholarship. Accordingly, the Committee on Bible Translation submitted the developing version to a number of stylistic consultants. Two of them read every book of the Old and New Testament twice, once before and once after the last major revision, and made invaluable suggestions, samples of the translation were tested for clarity and ease of reading by various kinds of people, young and old, highly educated and less well educated, ministers and laymen. Concern for clear and natural English that the new international version should be idiomatic but not idiosyncratic, contemporary but not dated, motivated the translators and 
consultants. At the same time, they tried to reflect the differing styles of the biblical writers in view of the international use of English. The translators sought to avoid obvious Americanisms on the one hand and obvious Anglicanisms on the other. A British edition reflects the comparatively few differences of significant idiom spelling. As for the traditional pronouns, thou and thine, in reference to the deity, the translators judged that to use these archaisms along with old verb forms such as doest, wouldest, and haddest would violate accuracy in translation. Neither Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek uses special pronouns for the persons of the Godhead. A present translation is not enhanced by forms that in the time of the King James Version were used in everyday speech. Whether referring to God or man. For the Old Testament, the standard Hebrew text, the Masoretic text, as published in the latest editions of Biblia Hebraic, was used throughout. The Dead Sea Scrolls contain material bearing on an earlier stage of the Hebrew text. They were consulted as were the Sumerian Pentateuch and the ancient scribble traditions relating to textural changes, sometimes a variant Hebrew reading in the margin of the Masoretic text was followed instead of the text itself. Such instances 
being variants within the Masoretic tradition are not specified by footnotes. In rare cases, words in the consonotal text were divided differently from the way they appear in the Masoretic text. Footnotes indicate this. The translators also consulted the more important early versions of the Septuagint, Aquila, Symmachus, and Theodotion, the Vulgate, the Syriac, Peshitta, the Targums, and for the Psalms, the Justa Hebraica of Jerome. Readings from these versions were occasionally followed, where the Masoretic text seemed doubtful and where accepted principles of textural criticism showed that one or more of these textual witnesses appeared to provide the correct reading. Such instances are footnoted. The Greek text used in translating the New Testament was an eclectic one. No other piece of ancient literature has such an abundance of manuscript witnesses as does the New Testament where existing manuscripts differ the translators made their choice of readings according to accepted principles of New Testament textual criticism footnotes call attention to places where there was uncertainty about what the original text was. The best current printed texts of the Greek New Testament were used. Let me pause here and make some observations. These scholars, translators, 
in an attempt to sound magnanimous are suggesting that their rendering of not only the Old Testament but the New Testament Greek manuscripts which were used by their choosing are in line with what is known as textural criticism. This idea sounds good, appears noble, and technically correct. However, there is much more to the process than what is being admitted here in the preface. And these questions as to gender, non-specific ideas and notions later became a great question mark as to the actual intent of the translators on the committee of the New International Version translation process. It is for these reasons that most conservative evangelical Christians do not accept or do not use the New International Version over other accepted versions such as the King James Bible and the New King James Version and yet these individuals that reject the New International Version never question the rationality of the aforementioned signature requirement used in all the translation teams whether they belong to the New King James versions or the New International versions, they're all required to sign a plenary inerrancy belief in extant original autographs, manuscripts that don't exist. No one seems to question that. And yet they want to question the sincerity of the committee when it comes to non-gender trans humanistic word choices within the English translation process. So let me be clear. 
the notion or idea that inspiration is infallible because of the word choices is clearly here on one hand denied in their own words in the preface and yet they demanded that all of the committee members in the translation process sign a statement which they claim guarantees the belief of each translator in the inerrancy and word-for-word inspiration of the original manuscripts which do not exist. And somehow that makes the translation process used by the translators to somehow become more accurate and qualify as inspired writings. The problem is not the inspiration of God, the Theonustus, God-breathed ideas, but rather the translation process itself. Translators are not inspired by God. Let me say this again. Translators are not inspired by God. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit must be present when a person reads the Bible or attempts to translate the Bible. Otherwise, the spiritual quality, the spiritual indicators, the spiritual essence will be missing from the scriptures themselves. You have been listening to The Dark Light. Thank you for joining us. Please like, subscribe, and tell your friends about The Dark Light Podcast. We would love to have you here each and every day to discover the light in the darkness.